This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women in sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm excited to continue today with our interview of Joyce. Um, Joyce was so generous and gracious to, um, to come on the podcast and talk to us about her experiences. I'm always looking for more women to come on the podcast and tell us about your life and your experiences and how you got into recovery. And we've had so many um, join us and we've got more to come. So I'm so excited about that. If you're interested in sharing your story with us on the podcast, you can email me directly at amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. Or you can contact me via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Worth Recovery, either place. I'd be happy, or Twitter. I forgot we have that too. I'd be happy to to talk to you and to set up an interview and to share your story with our whole community here at Worth Recovery. I love that we get to archive these stories and that we get to put them out for people to listen to and to gain strength from. So we're going to continue today with our interview of Joyce. So we ended last time with uh, Joyce had told us about she had been in recovery for a while, kind of how she got into recovery, what happened, and the experiences that she had, the sobriety that she had, which was nearly 10 years, and, and for a long time, the great things that were happening for her. However, she didn't maintain that behavior, and so things started to kind of slide out of control in her life, and she told us... Um, most recently about kind of the experience that got her back into recovery, this experience about breaking her ribs uh, while she was acting out and how even though, you know, she was in so much pain and there was a lot of danger involved in breaking ribs and continuing, she continued to act out with this man and, and how this incident was the one that prompted her to get back into recovery. So that's where we're going to pick up with our interview here with Joyce and she'll continue to tell her story and we'll, we'll continue through the end of the interview. Okay, well, let's get started. And so this incident of breaking your rib is what prompted you to come back, come back to recovery. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. And so what, what did you do? How did you get back into recovery? Um, when I broke my rib. I got in contact with my old sponsor. Okay. And my husband's friend. Friend. <laughs> and, right. and said, you know, I think I'm out of control and I need to get back into it and I don't know how. And um, I was very scared at the time and he just had a conversation with me and told me how to find a meeting and I did and um, the day I contacted him, it was a Sunday, so, um, I just talked with him off and on through text all day, and troubling thing is 
you know, I had three other people I was having conversations with on by text at the same time that were acting out partners yeah <laughs> so i'm like i'm really out of control here yeah but i think that's something that a lot of us can relate to right like yeah. i i want someone to stop me but i'm acting out at the same time yes. right like i'm acting out and having these text conversations and yet i'm texting back and forth with this man who is my sponsor or going to be my sponsor and all at the same time right like yes i mean talk it's about like i need help and and then I'm texting this other guy. I really wanted to get together with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's just really crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's... I and all that's... this while I'm at work, you know? Yeah. So that that's another thing that was just mind-boggling to me that I could be at work getting paid to take care of people and I am off in my own little world having three sexual conversations and then a, a cry for help with another person and <laughs> trying to keep my job together at the same mm-hmm. time. Wow. That's intense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like powerless and unmanageability, <laughs> like exponential amounts of that, right? Yes, it I is. mean, all in the same minute. Yes. Yeah. It was way out of control. <laughs> yeah. So he helped you, though, to find a meeting. Yes. And I went to a meeting the next Tuesday. So good. Two days. Yeah. I tried to get to one on Monday, but things didn't work out mm-hmm. for me to actually get to. I couldn't find the place where it was supposed to be. So. Yeah. Yeah. So... That was that was how many years ago? Um, that was four and a half years ago now. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Four and a half years ago. So, what? So, what did you? What did you do differently this time around coming into recovery? This time, I knew I absolutely would see this addiction to my death if I didn't stop and I knew I had to actually work the program this time yeah and I went full force into it with my the same man that had been my sponsor before Mm -hmm. he was willing to sponsor me again and started step one and I worked that hard and heavy until I was ready to go on to step two and step three. <laughs> yeah. So rather than just go to meetings and kind of white knuckle it or have a little scared sobriety, yeah. right? You yeah. chose to engage Actually, and do something different. Yes. Yeah. So you started with a sponsor. Yes. And then you started to work the steps. Yes, I did. Yeah. So what has been your process in working the steps? What do you think some of the big changes in your life have come about from working the steps? <coughs> well, um, <coughs> excuse me. I did a first step inventory where I just wrote down everything from the beginning to where I was at that time all the unmanageability that had gone on in Mm -hmm. my life that concerned sexual 
behavior. Yeah. And um, it's uh, exactly where it was at. <laughs> you know, even in, at times when I thought things were manageable, they weren't really. Because mm-hmm. uh, I would seek out more and more experiences. And, you know, I was hiding it really well from people that I was being promiscuous and et cetera, but um, it was affecting all the other areas of my life and I didn't realize how much it was affecting the other areas of my life until I wrote it all out. Yeah. That's kind of a, I mean, that's a big exercise, right? To write that all out. And it's, it's both, I know when I did it, it was both like relieving and like, petrifying at the same time because you're like I did all these things that's listed here and like you're saying I made all these new connections like my life is not really as manageable as I thought it was or there's more chaos in my life and the first time I did this inventory it was very um trying to look for a word Uh, sterile okay yeah it was just the facts uh-huh. You know, it wasn't any emotion behind anything. It was just almost like I was saying, I went to the store and got a, a <laughs> got washing machine. Or a washing machine. Okay. Right. <laughs> you know? Just like very detached, unemotional. Yes. yes. Yeah. And then I had the opportunity a little while after that to go to your first um, retreat at Bear Lake and um, I redid that inventory with all the emotional stuff too I remember that and that was when I felt like it started really sinking in and um, Mm -hmm. starting to heal inside yeah yeah. And then when you got to step two and step three, yeah. right? Like one of the things I love to hear about you talk about is your relationship with your higher power. Yes. Because when you got to steps two and three, things had to really shift for you or reevaluate, right? Yeah. So maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of what you used to believe about a higher power or what that was like for you and kind of what shifted and what you think about and how you view your higher power now. When I was growing up, I was in a very religious home, and uh, I was told God was this all-powerful person, and I, when I came back into recovery, that all-powerful being wasn't cutting it for me, because I'd experienced some sexual abuse as a child and been in some situations that weren't very good for me and it's like this all-powerful being doesn't seem to know what's going on with me Mm. you know I I felt like um, that version of God was more of a CEO and he didn't have time for me yeah yeah like he might know what's going on but he don't have time to do anything about it mm-hmm. just busy there's 
too many other people. Yeah. That type of thing. Yes. Yeah. And um, that's when I took a look at, uh, um, well, how is it that I am helped mm-hmm. by a higher power? And I was like, well, if he's a CEO, there's got to be people underneath him that <laughs> go around and do his bidding. And um, that's when I tuned into spirits. Mm-hmm. And um, they became my higher power because they were always around. You know, all I have to do is like, hey, you know, I'm having a difficult time with this. Can I get a little help here? Yeah. <laughs> and it always happened that I just feel calm and could remove myself from the situation that I was having issues with. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of redefined for you who that who that higher power is or who it is that helps you in your daily life. Yes. Right? Yes. Rather than this kind of distant, all-powerful CEO being yeah. who hadn't really been there for you, right? Exactly. And, and kind of was too busy and occupied. You have more of this um, the, army around you, this yes. kind of spirits, people around you. And kind of a little thing here, I love some of the drawings that I've seen of yeah. yours um, about those spirits and about yes. those uh, those people that are helping you or those th- the, that yes. higher power that's helping you. Yep. Sometimes I imagine these spirits look more like angels. Sometimes they... Um, come in the form of other people that are sent to me to help me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, sometimes there are people that have been in my life, loved ones that have passed on. Yeah. They're always somebody there to help me out if I just yeah. ask them. Yeah. What I love about that is I know so many women, and myself included, that have really struggled with like this concept of a higher power. Yes. Right. And you know, and they struggle with what does it mean? Who exactly are they? You know, blah blah blah. Do I believe in God? And I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. Like I love your, you know, there are people like I am getting help. Mm-hmm. So there has to be something around me. Yes. Right. And just kind of defining that as the spirits that help me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love so that. I I didn't really change the all-powerful God being up there, but instead of him being the main focus of Mm -hmm. being my higher power, I was like, I have the spirits instead that, you know, so they can still talk to God for me, but the spirits are the ones that are actually the ones that are helping me. Yeah. Because they're the ones that know who I am personally. I'm not just a name on their list. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, so you got into recovery. You started with a sponsor. You worked the steps, right? Yes. You kind of defined it as higher power that could help you and, and things like that, right? Yes. And so what was your process to get sober this time around? Did Like the last time around, you struggled a little bit, but you kind of got sober pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Was that the same case for you this time around? Um, it, when I first came into recovery, I was injured and, you know, I had a little issue with masturbation at first because I, every time I hit that 
wall of uh, um, withdrawal. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that withdrawal. <laughs> that withdrawal yeah. would get me, and then I'd be like, ah, you know, I got it get this out of my head and mm-hmm. I used masturbation as a crutch there for a little bit and then my sponsor guided me into giving that up too awesome. uh, just like you can get through the withdrawals too without doing that yeah <laughs> and um, it did take a couple months but um, finally got to a place where you know I didn't I need to I didn't feel compelled to do that in order Mm -hmm. to stay sober Mm -hmm. and then I got a great big huge chunk of sobriety there for a while almost 17 months that first time awesome yeah that's when I started hitting some other roadblocks that uh, I would get in my head about and then I'd have an episode where I'd relapse. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. Like yeah. it, takes, it takes time, you <laughs> yeah, know? It does. And, and then sometimes when you get into recovery, like, and you're actually starting to, like, you know, feel your emotions and not run and not escape from them, like, uh, then other things come up and you're like, I don't know how to deal with this because I don't have any emotional skills, right? Yeah. You know, and so we we relapse and we try again and we relapse and we try again maybe, right? Yep. Yeah. And throughout those little relapses, I've learned I need to watch out for all emotion, not just the bad ones. Right, right. Like even joy or happiness can be a trigger when you're not used to sitting in emotion. That's right. Yeah. In fact, my current sobriety date is actually the same date that uh, my daughter had her, my first grandchild, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because I was scared of what was going to go on, and but I was so happy too, and I just didn't know where to put that energy mm-hmm. but to relapse. Yeah. And, though, you learned, though, right? Yeah, because I learned. That's something since, I need to watch out right. for. <laughs> and I was going to say, and since then, you've had other grandchildren born. Yes, I have. And you didn't relapse. No, I didn't Right? Relapse. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you learned, and you made changes, and you got better. Yes. What has been some other things that you've done differently this time around in recovery that you didn't do the first time? Um, staying in contact with other people. I'm... That's been huge for me this time around. Actually calling up other people and saying, Hey, I'm having difficulty. I need someone to help me talk through stuff and mm-hmm. process it out in my mind so I don't feel like acting out anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this time around, were there... I mean, I, I had um, you and one other woman that I when I first came back to recovery that I was introduced to. So I was Uh like, yes, there's other women. (laughs) Yeah. Right. There's not, you weren't alone. I was not alone. Yeah. And that was huge too, Mm -hmm. knowing that I was not the only, I, I mean, at the time, um, you were only having 
You we just were, started that. We were that, just meeting at my house once a month, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But that was... We didn't have mm-hmm. a full-fledged women's meeting yet. Yeah. But that was just enough for me to know that, hey, I have support from other women, even though mm-hmm. I don't see them in my normal circle that I go to every week. Right. I they know do exist. They do exist. <laughs> right. I'm not crazy, right? I'm not the only one. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And that helped a lot, too. Yeah. Um, another one of the things I know that you've done differently is you've um, you started some therapy. Yes. But in that process, you also have done a lot of art therapy. Yes, I have. Tell me a little bit about what that looks like and, and where you share those pictures. Um, well... When I uh, first started going to therapy, I um, I have always liked putting down my uh, my feelings in my art, mm-hmm. and um, I have some pictures that were specifically for recovery. Um, my uh, favorite is this tree that kind of hangs over this abyss. I love that one. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep telling and us it about has, it though. And it has fruit on the tree and and you know I look it looks like I could just walk out there and grab some fruit and come back and be safe but um, since it's over this cliff it's not as safe as it looks. Mm-hmm. And I know I can fall off of that tree trying to get to that fruit. Mm-hmm. Or if I get that fruit, uh, getting back might be an issue because I won't be able to hang on to anything with fruit in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and that just represents what addiction, just the, the lust an addiction looks like for me you know I feel like I can go out and get that fruit but it's dangerous Mm -hmm. and I know it's dangerous and um getting back to where I'd be safe with that fruit is almost impossible (laughs) yeah yeah and you share your pictures online right yes I do I have uh Joyce and Recovery on Instagram that okay. I share my um, my art on. I haven't yeah. been on there for a while because social media sometimes <laughs> it's a little iffy It can for be me. a little challenging for <laughs> us, right, in recovery sometimes. And so a lot of times I, I'll go for months that I, I don't, don't do any social media whatsoever, mm-hmm. even the places where they're somewhat safe, like Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Joyce in Recovery, J-O-Y-C-E mm-hmm. in Recovery yes. on Instagram. On Instagram. Awesome. So you can follow, people can follow you or yeah. look at your artwork there. Yes, they can. Awesome. So sponsor, 12-step work, therapy, a support circle, right? All these yes. things you did differently this time around in recovery. Yes. Than you did the first time. Yes. So without that kind of fear, I mean, the first time around, you, you talked a lot about that fear. I was scared sober because my children were going to be taken from me. Yes. Right? This time around, you don't, I mean, you don't really have that fear. 
No, I don't. So I have to stay sober for me. I was gonna say. So what's driving you? (laughs) Right. You have to stay sober for you. And how does that feel different than the first time around? Well, I have developed this knowledge that my addiction was taking me to extremely dangerous places. Mm -hmm. Um, About nine months back into recovery, Mm -hmm. one of the um, men that I had acted out with, um, I had wrote up this scenario of um, a rape scenario that I wanted to try out. And kind um, of like an erotica type form. Yes. Like you had designed this experience. Yes. Okay. And I had emailed it to him before I got oh. into reco- back into recovery. And um, he saw me out in the community one day and it reminded him that I had written this up and um him and a couple of his friends cornered me and you know essentially raped me not and essentially they raped you yeah <laughs> yeah they act they acted out your scenario yeah they did and that just confirmed for me how dangerous my addiction had become for me and that I was gonna die if I kept doing it yeah I had to stay sober well Joyce I'm so sorry that that's so scary that was very scary and (laughs) yeah I I remember when that happened and you talked to me about it and told me and I remember having this like contradicting feeling of being so angry and being like we're going to the police and I'm taking you to the police and we're going to go do that right now you know because just because you wrote it doesn't give them liberty or license to act that out right no or to do that doesn't right and I remember you telling me, like, I can't go to the police about this. No. I felt I couldn't go to the police. Number one, I'd written a scenario, and they followed it to the letter. Mm-hmm. And um, number two, you know, I didn't want to put my family through that. Yeah. Because it could expose a lot of the other acting out that you did. Yes. And a lot of the other things going on. And, you know, a lot of that. And I, I mean, I, I definitely respect that. I had a hard time at the moment thinking like, no, like you, you don't deserve that, right? Based on the fact that you had written that, like that's not license or liberty to act it out. Um, and at the same time, knowing what I know about like my family situation and, you know, exposing things and stuff like that and knowing what I know about society in general, like that's a really difficult pill to swallow but very true yeah right yeah and me and my promiscuity at the that got me to that place to begin with I just accepted this is something I kind of brought on myself I didn't deserve it I didn't want it at the time 
I didn't change my sobriety date at the time because I knew it wasn't all my fault. But I did feel responsible for putting myself on his radar. You know, that this would have been done. And I didn't want to put my family through the fact that this would help be brought out in a trial if he decided that uh, I wanted to press charges and he didn't want to admit to it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do that to my family. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so sorry. I, I think this is a really good example. I mean, in light of everything going on in the world right now with the Harry Weinstein stuff, with the Me Too campaign on social media, this is a really good example of why so much sexual assault happens, isn't reported, doesn't get talked about, you know, doesn't come to light mm -hmm. because it's, it's so much more complicated than we sometimes um, admit or, or make it, you know, it, there's so many lives in danger at stake. There's so many women who, you know, um, endure so much heartache, pain, physical suffering because of how complicated these scenarios can be. Yeah. Yeah. My heart goes out to you for that. I, I, I had to pray for a long time about that scenario because I was so angry that 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 would happen to you. Yeah. And that, and that I, I totally understood your decision and yet I so wanted that man in jail. Like I just didn't want, you know, I just had a hard time with that. And I know so many women who are, have been in that scenario where they, they feel like they, you know, I, I love that you didn't reset your sobriety date. I love that you can say that it's not, this was not my fault. But there is that, like, I put myself on his radar, you know? Like, yeah. I think that's a that's a powerful statement, you know? Like, and that still shows a lot of the guilt and shame that we feel as women a lot over our actions, you know, that I don't know. I don't know if it needs to be there or not, but I know as an addict, I feel that way sometimes too, you know, that yeah. my behavior put me in this scenario, and so I just have to put up with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the time, I, that's what I had to do for myself. Yeah. You know, if the police was to approach me concerning this person now, I'd be like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be a witness. Mm hmm And put them behind bars for somebody else that wants to press charges yeah. as it happened. But um, back then, I was... Like, no, I can't put my family through that. Now my family knows more, you know. <laughs> and, and as I've done my step nine, you mm -hmm. know, I've explained some things to my family about where my addiction has taken me. And you know, so they already know, and it wouldn't be a big, huge surprise to them <laughs> if I testified on someone else's behalf of what happened to me mm -hmm. with this person. Yeah. 
Wow. So more evidence that you've continued to do work, right? Yes. This time around in recovery, it wasn't just like kind of a fade in, fade out. It was you've continued to stay engaged in the process. Yes. Yeah. Another big thing that's happened for you, and I know in recovery because because I know you and I'm your friend, but <laughs> is you recently had to switch sponsors. Yeah. You um, had to change sponsors. Yeah. My, actually, my sponsor uh, um, had cancer and uh, lost his fight with that um, at the end of August. Yeah, just a few months ago. Yeah. And uh, I knew he was dying before he passed and um, I was able to find another woman in the program that I trust to kind of help me process through all of that mm -hmm. and um, now she's my sponsor so how's uh, that been I know not, she's not the same as my right, sponsor it's not the same, right? <laughs> you know I had this absolutely fantastic spiritual man that was my sponsor for the last three and a half years and uh well and, and knew your whole history because yes. it had been before right yes yeah exactly he he knew my thoughts as well as i know my thoughts and um he knew what kind of behaviors i would get into before i would act out and he would kind of warned me of the patterns it's like that it looks saw. like you're kind of going yeah. down the wrong path Joyce maybe you need to think about doing this or <laughs> <laughs> kind of knew your pattern right yes. knew your cycle yeah and it's been a little more difficult that uh, this new woman doesn't sponsor doesn't know those patterns as well mm -hmm. but uh I'm far enough along in recovery that I can pick up the pieces too and it's like, oh yeah, I'm doing that again. <laughs> yeah. Better stop that now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I'll confess to her that, you know, I was having these thoughts and I was letting it go down this road, but mm. then I turned around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, so many, I think women particularly, end up switching sponsors a lot. For yeah. various reasons. There's not a lot of us around, first of all. Yeah. And then we move or things happen or whatever the deal is. And we end up having to engage a new sponsor and things like that. And I'm glad that you have found it to be a growth opportunity, you know, kind of like be a little bit more accountable. Like these are my actions. I, I know my cycle and I can predict how that's going to go or, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. I, It's difficult to switch sponsors. It is. Yeah. Especially when you lose one because they passed away. Yeah. You've had a lot of loss in the last few years. Yes. <clears throat> but I've learned how to deal with it in more healthy ways. Yeah. Than I would have, you know, three and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So here you are now, still in recovery, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And what's your plans for staying in recovery? Well, I plan on staying at my uh, my meeting. I I I don't plan on ever stopping meetings this time around. Good. Because <laughs> like um, that loss of connection would devastate my program. Mm -hmm. um, I might get to a point where I feel like I can 
skip them every once in a while, but I know that I have to go regularly. Yeah. And I need to stay involved in this yeah. recovery circles. I can't. I, my my recovery has to come first before anything else, yeah. or I'm gonna lose my sobriety. I know that. Yeah. Um. I can't remember who told me this, but it's not my original thought. But <laughs> someone said to me, like, you know, if recovery does, if recovery, dang it, now I lost it. Something about <laughs> like, if re, you know what, if recovery is not the for, oh whatever I know. Okay, I thought about it. Okay. Whatever you put before recovery, you will lose, right? Yes. And I have found that to be true in my life. Whatever I prioritize above recovery, right, I I will end up losing um, because I recovery has to come first or I'm not going to stay present or be able to live or handle emotions or be relational or keep my sobriety. I mean, like, all these things have to happen. But if I don't prioritize recovery, none of that will happen. That's right. I completely agree with that statement. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as we kind of wrap up here, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story. Well, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's impressive. Like, I am so inspired by you. And by your continual efforts to stay in recovery, by the things that you do, by just so much of who you are, the fact that you've gone through so much and continue to try to help others, continue to, you know, do things, I am so impressed. I also know we talked a little bit about how you switched addictions. Yes. But you have also done a lot of work on your workaholism. Yes. Right? And yes, so I have. when I first met you, you were still working those 80, 90 plus hour weeks. Yeah. Right? What helped me with that is ACA program, you know, the yeah. Adult Children of Alcoholics. Uh, realizing that I came from a very dysfunctional home and, you know, working through those issues um, and my sponsor in that program um, knows about work addiction Mm -hmm. also and so she's been kind of talking me through that and helping me set boundaries in my work life that uh, have helped get that into balance and um I think it's a com you know the fact that I'm not trying to go to other addictions as a way to cope with not acting out right right (laughs) has been a huge uh recovery factor for me also Mm -hmm. in staying sober yeah yeah i love the aca program Mm -hmm. there's so much good in that program yes yeah but it's been i mean it's been a while that you since you've been kind of on that more regular work schedule yes right and uh i know i've seen changes in your (laughs) life right like yeah you're it's a like lot when more... I do decide to take on extra, I don't, I don't uh, automatically agree to take on extra shifts anymore. Mm-hmm. I like let me think about it, and I am intentional about that decision. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I I figure out well, um, this person needs me to take this extra shift because 
parent died or or they're really really sick right now um can i switch shifts versus just take on that shift so i'm not taking on extra responsibility and um i've been fairly consistent about keeping my hours down to around 56 hours a week good for you I am very proud of myself for that. Yeah, I know that's huge for you, right? <laughs> yes, it that's is. That's huge. So, yeah. Because yeah. for so long it was 80 to 90 hours a week, and mm-hmm. to have it at 56 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Well, is there anything else about your recovery or your story that you would like to share with our audience? on the podcast anything that we missed anything that you feel is important to share I uh, just know that having other women to talk to about anything that's going on not just recovery related but actually communicating with other people in general has been been huge for my recovery and um, not letting myself self-isolate and Mm -hmm. get to the point where I'm struggling Mm -hmm. as much as I used to. Yeah. (laughs) And recognizing that I'm human, other people are human, and I can't control everything around me. (laughs) Right? As much as we would all like to. (laughs) I'd like everything to be my way all the time, but that doesn't work out. And just trying to be a genuine, good person. Mm -hmm. And all aspects of my life have been good for me and my recovery. Yeah. I... I think that's been one of the biggest challenges for me in recovery too is learning to have good relationships with other women. Mm-hmm. Right? I think like that has been essential to my recovery and also one of the biggest challenges, you know, because I think it's women in general sometimes have that problem with yeah. each other, you know? That I I know occasionally I'm like, well, I can't call this person right now because they'll be doing something with their kids or something but getting past that and and actually making the call anyway and mm-hmm. it's like even if it starts out in no uh this is joyce do you think you have a few minutes to talk to me yeah <laughs> and, and i'll either say yes or no and if they say no i can go on to somebody else mm-hmm. and yeah. knowing that uh i can do that and Sticking with it mm-hmm. has been huge for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks again for being here and for being willing to share so much with us. I appreciate it. And all of us appreciate your willingness to share your story and to to talk about it and to and to let us witness for you and to help you. So thanks. Thanks. I'm inspired by Joyce and her willingness to share with us and also the things that she's gone through in recovery. This is just a small portion of her story and I think it can be highly impactful. I know a lot of women that relate to so many aspects of Joyce's story of child neglect, of 
putting yourself in danger and harm's way, of switching sponsors, of getting into recovery and then getting out of recovery and then getting back into recovery, of, you know, just the struggle that it takes to commit and to stay focused on recovery, as well as the multi-addiction aspect, the other things that we use in our lives to compensate and to, to do and to escape instead of our primary addiction of sex or other things. I'm grateful for Joyce, for her friendship, for her willingness to share with us so much of herself. As always, ladies, I want you to remember that you are worth recovery, 100% worth it. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how far you feel you've gone, no matter what's happening right now in this very moment, you are worth recovery. And if you don't believe that, just trust me because I know it until you can believe it for yourselves. If you're willing and wanting to share your story with us, we would love to have you on the Worth Recovery podcast. You can reach out to me at amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. And just let me know that you're interested and we can schedule a time for you to share your story with all of us. I know that every time I share my story, a little piece of me heals a little bit more. And I know that every time I hear the story of another woman, also another little piece of me heals. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, I hope that you have a fantastic day. And remember that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.